Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Today, we'll be talking about teaching in California. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Head on over to their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering in promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by the ConcealedCarry.com Firearm Instructor Network. ConcealedCarry.com is always looking for quality firearm instructors across the country to join the network. As a network instructor, you can take advantage of ConcealedCarry.com's advertising platform to fill your classes. Visit class.concealedcarry.com and click on instructor to learn more and see if it would be a good fit for you. Again, visit class.concealedcarry.com for more information. Today, we are joined by Bill Desi. He's an instructor in California. Welcome, uh, Bill. How's it going? Thank you very much, sir. It's going fantastic out here. Great. For those uh, instructors out there who may not know who you are, can you give us a brief background on uh, where you're teaching at and what your background is with firearms? Absolutely. Um, I got into, uh, I'm teaching out of the Glock store primarily, but my company is CCW USA Firearms Training. So I work really closely with the folks over at the Glock store and uh, just came back from Tennessee where I visited the new Glock store that's opening up out there uh, early next year. Fantastic training facilities. Again, uh, 360 degree training ranges, uh, some really, really good quality instruction there. We have a lot of great students that will go get anything from beginner to intermediate to advanced shooting. Um, my background, I started out, I would say, in uh, in martial arts and, and self-defense training when I was eight. And then I got into you know different types of uh, combative sports, if you want to call it that. And um, I basically went into investigations directly while I was going to college. I went into investigations and uh, working as a private investigator for other investigators in San Diego and a lot of attorneys. And I finally got into loss prevention, which is uh, retail, plain clothes, store security kind of thing mm-hmm. and catch and shoplift. I found it was kind of fun. It was kind of a high adrenaline thing. Uh, a little, little rush to catch shoplifters all the time. And, hundreds and hundreds, um, over 1500 shoplifters and worked for a local grocery store, worked for May company, some of the larger retailers, uh, doing, doing that kind of stuff, internal theft investigations, consulting that, uh, things like that. And then in 1990, I experienced a unpleasurable event where I was arresting a, a career criminal gang member, uh, stealing some alcohol from the grocery store. And we got into a little scuffle outside in the alley and he ended up stabbing me in the leg, uh, which produced a, a, a pretty good injury and uh, quite a bit of bleeding. Uh, the district attorney at the time uh, for the major violators unit said, hey, your job's really dangerous. You should probably get a concealed carry permit. I said, I agree. But I'm the kind of person, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it right. So I said, well, I'm going to get some training. Where should I go? There was one training school in 1990 that was highly recommended, Public Safety Training Association. And the, the police officers that ran that organization were retired La Mesa police officers here in San Diego County. And I went through their training class and I, I really enjoyed it. I liked the information they gave out. I found it very interesting. Um, 
I had also done PCA 32, which is police officers training here mm-hmm. in San Diego the, at the uh, community college. So I said, Hey, I really like this. How can I get more involved? And they said, well, Hey, if you want to become an instructor, we'll show you how to get certified and everything. And at the time you had to be a law enforcement instructor through um, the NRA's law enforcement training division. And there's some really strict requirements to get into that. You couldn't just be like an NRA instructor. So I had to go through a lot of uh, some 40 hour training classes, uh, a lot of vetting and background stuff. Uh, I had to be an armed security officer. I mean, I had to have my exposed permit. I had a certain licenses and permits. I had my private investigator license and my guard card and all the requirements in California. And so I kind of snuck in the side door and got into the law enforcement training division uh, with the NRA to get certified as an instructor. And then that allowed me to get certified with the Bureau of Security Investigative Services in California, um, which mostly was kind of retired law enforcement. Um, so I kind of brought in a fresh face. These guys, uh, the retired guys, didn't really like teaching firearms classes. I could tell because when I, when I was shooting low and left, they would go, hey, Bill, you just need to aim high and right. And I go, is that really, <laughs> is that how you fix that? And uh, I can tell you back in the in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, that was kind of how they fixed it, is you aim, you just aim higher, and then you won't shoot so low. And then I, I discovered some other trainers. I started working closely with a lot of guys from Gunsight, with guys from LAPD SWAT. Uh, I trained mm-hmm. with Scotty Reitz, ATTS, uh, hundreds of hours. I ended up working uh, as an investigator at San Diego State University, and that state position was kind of nice because... It afforded me uh, four 10-hour shifts, so I had three days off, and it just happened to be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's nice. <laughs> I was reimbursed for all my training uh, with LAPD guys or any of the any of the SWAT guys here in San Diego, any of the local stuff I did. I basically either got reimbursed or it was paid for uh, uh, out of a training budget. Uh, so I got to do a, a ton of training. I actually kind of, uh, like, this happens to a lot of instructors. I know my friend John Correa has experienced this is you get kind of addicted to training. You're like, I really like learning new things or learning different ways that people teach things and learning how this person delivered this information and how different it was here, or how this a little bit more detail or sometimes even a little less detail uh, really resonates with people. And I just really, I felt like there was more to learn. I was really hungry. And I, I just kept training and training and training. And I was really, two things drove my motivation. One is I didn't want to get stabbed again. I didn't like it. Yeah, I can understand that. (laughs) Yeah, I got to prevent that from happening again. At the same time, I was doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I was doing Muay Thai, and I was doing Krav Maga. So I was was doing as much training as I could on a regular basis. I was doing all kinds of things to just educate myself. Uh, Tony Blower is a local trainer here that's kind of worldwide uh, well-known for uh, Blower Tactical Systems. I've done some training with him. We've discussed a lot about that whole, where do I get some ammo and (laughs) where do I get some guns and that kind of stuff. But he's a great guy and I love his training program because it's based on startle flinch response. A lot of the same things I had done when I trained with Modern Warrior and Phil Messina and the guys on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're they're really, uh, just did some training recently with Tatiana Whitlock where she mentioned the book uh, Spinning at the Train or training at the speed of life. And I I immediately got that book and I said, I've been, a lot of the stuff in the book is what we were doing 
with rape aggression defense systems and McClintock self-defense. It's adrenal stress-based conditioning. It's the same kind of thing they do with shiv works and a lot of the other trainers where you, you don't just train in a relaxed, comfortable environment. You put some pressure on it. Uh, my Kung Fu buddies call it pressure testing your technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friends that are involved in, um, uh, you know, adrenal stress-based conditioning, like the uh, Remcat and those guys, uh, I'd, I'd wear the padded suit. I did that all through the 80s and 90s. I put the padded suit on. And, uh, I was, I was on the news a bunch of times. You wouldn't know it because I was wearing a padded suit, but people would beat the crap out of you and you'd learn what techniques really worked and what didn't, what was kind of flashy and what wasn't. So I was very involved in physical combatives and self-defense training. So firearms just kind of seemed like a natural fit. Um, it was just that, who do I go to? Who do I train with? That's going to teach me the right way to do it. And that's where, like I said, I found, uh, Scotty Reese was probably one of my favorite instructors at ITTS. The guys at Gunsight are fantastic. I actually like the trainers at Frontsight. I know they get a lot of criticism because they're sometimes they're young guys, sometimes they're not. But uh, I'm a Frontsight member. Uh, I've trained out there uh, every year for a charity event that we do for uh, CharityCourse.Gives, which mm-hmm. is a fundraiser for leukemia and lymphoma. And that, uh, that's been an event. I don't know what our status is for next year, but we, we did it. We're out there for four days, uh, right before COVID hit or right as it was hitting. And then it ended back in March and, um, just a great event. If I don't know if you've been to front site, but a great facility. I have not been there myself. No. Uh, you have to, I think the other part of it is the camaraderie of having, 250 people that kind of know each other in this big group uh, doing training and then afterwards going to dinners and barbecues and events and whatnot. So just a good, a good thing. And it raises thousands of dollars for charity. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it sounds but, like, it. Uh, yeah, my, my training, I'd like to say it's uh, it's evolved, but it continues to evolve because I continue to train with other folks. I, I trained with, uh, with a bunch of guys out in Arizona with uh, John Korea had a uh, bullets and Bibles conference out there in 2014, yep. trained a bunch of folks out there. You just had another did, one this, uh, this fall also. Yeah. I missed that one. Cause I think it was, the timing wasn't going to work for me. Uh, cause I also, I've been so busy, uh, with training, mm-hmm. but uh, then John came out and did some stuff out here in San Diego uh, we've had, luckily, I've got a couple of friends that have hosted a lot of trainers. We host uh, uh, Larry Vickers, and we got a bunch of SEAL guys that are really fantastic. I don't know if you've heard of uh, the Tactical Hive. No, I haven't uh, heard Tactical of those. Hive. Yeah, so tacticalhive.com is a bunch of subject matter experts that are mostly uh, special forces or military law enforcement trainers, and they are like a vetted source for training locally and nationally. Um, but they're relatively new. I think they started in maybe May of last year. Okay. Um, but the guy that runs that miles has done a great job of putting together events and doing some training videos and things like that. Uh, but the main thing is they got a lot of, a ton of free content on their website and on their YouTube channel and they're posting stuff all the time. Uh, and it's, it's stuff that comes from, uh, some really good vetted sources. Um, what? Well, yeah, that's, 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 that's really the, good. 
I'll include that in the uh, show notes too because I noticed the uh, hive is H Y V E for yeah, it. So, yeah. well, well, Bill, uh, tell us what area of the country do you teach in uh, mainly? I'm in San Diego County. I do primarily my training in San Diego County. I do have some clients that I either travel for or they'll come down to train with me uh, from Hollyweird or from other places <laughs> in, uh, in California. And, um, and then I've got a lot of folks in, uh, in Orange County, Ventura County uh, that, that also will train with me. Uh, but my primary focus is San Diego County and it's concealed carry training for just regular folks. I have some regular clients I've had for years that have been training with me for, you know, 10 or 15 years or longer that are just training to get better. Some of them are law enforcement, some of them are military. Uh, one of the things I've always done is nobody, nobody wants people to know that they're training uh, if they're in law enforcement or military because they don't want people to think that they aren't as good as they're supposed to be. So we're, we have private ranges we can use where nobody else has to know your training or, or up in your skills. I have guys trying out for SWAT or they're trying out for, uh, you know, a, a range call for NCIS or some, some kind of a, an agency or a, to get a job, they need to pass a qual and they need to really, I don't, I don't train people to pass quals. I train them to shoot better and then they can mm-hmm. pass a qual. Yeah. Well, that's, so that's, 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 that's good. Well, hey, uh, I'm not familiar with the training requirements out there in California, but what what are the training requirements to get a concealed carry license? So each county, there's 48 counties in California, and each one has its own set of rules. Uh, some of them are very, very limited, like, hey, just show up and show us that you're breathing. Uh, most of them, under state law, they do require now an eight-hour training course for initial permits and a four-hour training course for renewals every two years. So it is a state-issued permit, although it's like the DMV, uh, it's issued by the state, just like a driver's license, but it's issued by the county sheriff for the geographic region where you live. So the problem with that is sheriffs don't all agree. And one sheriff will issue, one sheriff won't. For many, many years, our sheriffs, uh, Bill Gore and Bill, uh, Bill Collender before him, did not really issue permits. And it wasn't really their choice, it was just their interpretation of the requirements. Uh, we had a big federal case here with Ed Peruta. Uh, if you've heard of the Peruta case, and mm-hmm. Ed was actually one of, he was one of my students. And I told him, hey, don't take the class until you get approved. And he goes, I'm gonna get approved, I'm a former cop. Uh, so he didn't get approved. And he didn't get approved because he couldn't prove residency in San Diego because he lives in another state and in San Diego half the year. And he, he travels in a motorhome. So he had no residence, according to the sheriff's department, but he had a domicile. And his whole federal case was based on that back in 2008 or 2009 when he started it. It went through the legal system, Ninth Circuit, all over the place. And then eventually he lost. But it did spark some interest in concealed carry permits, uh, especially from Michael Schwartz, who was the uh, advocate and leader of San Diego County gun owners. And he came to me back in 2015 and said, hey, how come they don't issue more permits? And I said, well, it's just, you know, just that's their policy. Uh, And he's like, well, we should change that. And I I was kind of, I'll tell you, I'm I'm 54, I'm kind of old school. I go, yeah, yeah, I don't know if you can change that. You're not gonna change the sheriff's opinion. Um, but I was wrong. 
Uh, Mike really worked hard. He, he actually endorsed a, uh, a candidate against the sheriff and did a bunch of political action that got the attention of the sheriff where the sheriff actually called and said, Hey, I want to meet with you. I want to talk to you about this whole CCW <laughs> thing. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden it became an issue. It became a priority and they actually looked at it. And I can tell you one thing uh, about Bill Gore. He's not, he's not a gun fan or a gun. He's probably not a shooter, but he's a very smart man and he's a good sheriff because he knows how to manage an extremely large sheriff's department and keep most of the, the staff and everybody happy. But he saw what Orange County was doing. They had 16,000 permits when we had like 1,600. And he said their crime didn't go up. All the things that people, that anti-gunners think will happen if you issue permits just don't happen. Oh, it's going to be gunfights in the street. It's going to be the Wild West. You're going to have road rage incidents, maybe in Texas, but not so much in California. And what we what we were able to prove is like, hey, you issue these permits, we're going to we're going to teach uh, we're going to train sane, law abiding, competent citizens how to own and possess guns and how to carry those guns if they choose to do so uh, for personal protection or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it, it's been very effective. We're up to over four thousand permits right now and um, and still going like uh, hundreds of permits every month. That's great. Great to see them, uh, you know, really embrace, embrace the things for the citizens out there. And I'm sure there'll be more. I know in Ohio, we're, uh, closing in or close to close to a million permits statewide. So I think California has got a ways to go before they'll catch up with us. Well, some of the counties have a lot of permits issued because they've been issuing for a long time, but other, but we're a big County. So we have, we have three and a half million people here. Um, L.A. County doesn't really issue permits. It's very hard to get a permit in L.A. County. But uh, I have maybe two clients that have gotten permits in L.A. County. Uh, one of them got shot first, and the other one uh, is friends with the chief of police for a smaller department. So, again, not likely to get a permit in L.A. County. But San Diego County has opened up the floodgates. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. One of our requirements, though, is you have to be a resident of San Diego County. So you can't live in a different County. You have to apply where you live and you have to prove residency. So you can't go like, I'm going to apply somewhere else. Or people would ask that, well, what if I apply there? What if I apply here? You have to actually live there and they're, they're going to do a background check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually uh, that's similar to what we have in Ohio. Although the le- legislature because of COVID has uh, removed that restriction for the time being, which has been uh, kind of a blessing because um, some of the sheriffs are backed up for months to uh, come in and, and file your application. So it's, uh, it's good. You can go some, uh, we can move around here in Ohio, but it doesn't sound like you can do that in uh, California very easily. What are, what are some of the difficulties? And I say the difficulty right now is the length of time it takes to get issued a permit. I just got an email from a guy that did one of my classes and got his Arizona permit in like a week to 10 days. It's just nothing. Arizona permits are, they're super efficient at issuing those permits. California permits out of San Diego County, their current turnaround times right now is they're not even looking at your application for at least 30 days. If it's an initial application, they're not going to give you an appointment until sometime in October, November of next year. So you've got all this time. Fortunately, right now you got all this time to try to find a gun or some ammo. I'd say the, 
the hardest thing for me or the most difficult thing for me is to get people to understand that they should buy a gun that fits their hands and is suitable for the intended purpose they want to use it for. So you don't buy a Desert Eagle for concealed carry. I mean, somebody probably does. I, I do have a student that has a gold-plated Desert Eagle. Okay. But that I don't know. That's a, that's a personal issue for him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the uh, the fact is, uh, there should be some research. If you're going to buy a car, you don't just go to the car line and go, give me the blue one. Uh, you should do some research and find out what gun you're, is going to be suitable for you to carry, what fits your hands, what can you shoot well, what caliber works best for you. Not what the gun store guy says, well, I got one of these in stock. Uh, that may not be your best gun. So the problem is right now with the supply of guns and ammo, training is more difficult and more expensive, and guns are more difficult to find and more expensive. So it does give people time to find that gun or find a suitable concealed carry gun to practice and train with. My biggest concern, I would say, is I have people show up and they're like, yeah, okay. I go, what uh, what gun are you going to be shooting today? And they're like, oh, I got this Smith & Wesson Shield uh, 40 caliber uh, and it was on, you know, I got a good price on it or something and I've never shot it cause I just picked it up yesterday mm. and I go, okay, now we're going to go, I'm going to teach you how to shoot the gun, how to safely handle it, marksmanship, shooting fundamentals, drawing from concealment, and I'm going to make you qualify in about four hours on the range, four hours in the classroom, four hours on the range. I would prefer if people would actually do some training, some pre-training. We actually developed some courses through the Glock store, uh, some uh, CCW packages where you get personalized one-on-one -on -one instruction with, uh, with one of their instructors on concealment, selecting your gun. This is before COVID. Uh, it was very easy to do, but we could uh, you know, run them through a bunch of different guns, have them do some training with blue guns, learn how to draw from a holster, find some equipment, go through that. So by the time they get to the actual permit class, they're actually somewhat proficient. Uh, so I find I'm doing a lot of remedial training with people who are brand new to guns, have a huge startle flinch response, don't have never touched a gun. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, I want to conceal carry for, I want to carry a gun, but I know nothing about them. <laughs> yep. That's, that's, uh, makes it tough. If they're, if they're expecting to, uh, learn that in one day, there's a couple, several days or several classes is going to be layered in on top of that. Yeah, I've had people ask me, do I really need to do eight hours? I couldn't, we just do this in three hours. Couldn't I learn everything about <laughs> shooting in three hours? And I said, well, I'm sure someone's willing to take your money for that, but I, I promise you there's more to learn than you're going to learn in three hours. Well, as I go along and uh, tell my students, uh, probably 80% of what they think they know is wrong. And we're going to take the time to give them the right information based upon the facts and not, you know, on the Hollywood movie, different things like that. Because, you know, after I watch, um, uh, Rambo or Die Hard or any of those movies, I should be able to shoot really well, right? Oh yeah. And it's like, nope. <laughs> and and the guns don't operate the same way as they do in the movies either. You know, you do have to know yeah. how to reload them efficiently and 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 work on uh, malfunctions and those types of things. Absolutely, there's a lot of information there. So I, I said this my my eight hour CCW course is an introductory lesson on gun safety, weapon handling, shooting fundamentals legal issues. We're covering a ton of information in a compressed time frame, And I would, I, I don't want the state to mandate two days or five days or 24 hours. I want the students to seek out that information. 
It's how do you get students? And it's one of the questions another friend of mine has posed with me. He's a, a, a lifetime uh, student, but also a military veteran uh, that just shoots really well. And he said, uh, people have that motivation has to come from in. You can't give it to somebody. They have to find it within themselves to say, hey, I want to get really good at this or I want to get really proficient. Um, I'm going to take more than one lesson or I'm going to take a series of lessons. So I really improve my skills. And all of a sudden, I'm not just better than than one guy. I'm better than most bad guys. Exactly. And that's uh, that's the efficiency or the competence level uh, is vast between shooters. Some people are like, hey, you know, I can I can hit stuff when I go to the range versus I consistently know how to hit stuff and why I'm hitting it. And if I miss, I know why I missed. Uh, being able to self-diagnose or determine what what's happening while you're shooting with your stance, your grip, your side alignment, your trigger press, your breathing, your follow through, all your shooting fundamentals. And are you taking the time to actually address those and practice them individually and together? And uh, that's another thing. I'm just sitting here looking at a pack of dry fire cards on my desk and, uh, and I'm like, I haven't opened this pack, but, uh, but just getting students to dry fire or getting them to go to the range is much harder right now because of the cost of ammo and the limited availability of ranges in California. Yeah, I could see that being, being an issue. Um, and that leads me into one other question, which I thought was really interesting when we uh, were doing the pre-show uh, uh, discussion. You've got some really good uh, support groups, firearm, pro-firearm uh, groups there. Can you talk about those a little bit also? Absolutely. San Diego County Gun Owners is a political action committee that's really focused on driving Second Amendment issues and really getting pro-gun officials elected to mayoral candidates, uh, city, city council, county board of supervisors, water district, school board, any elected position in the county of San Diego. Uh, they will talk to those folks all the candidates and say, Hey, we're, how do you feel about guns? How do you feel about the second amendment? What do you think about the constitution? Does it apply here in California? And they'll get their opinions. They'll actually do research. They'll see what opinions they've made before, where it kind of, where they're leaning. And then they'll recommend either endorsing them or not endorsing them based on their voting patterns or uh, their statements when they've had conversations. Fortunately, even though we are very, um, anti-gun there's a lot of we're outnumbered i'd say in california by far with anti-gunners i've seen a huge shift uh not not because people want to but a huge shift in uh people that would say they'll tell me directly hey i'm totally anti-gun i don't like guns and i'll say why don't you like guns they well i don't like them because they're just you know they're they're weapons of war they're used to kill children and they're just bad bad people use them all the time and i say you know did you know that good people also use guns to protect themselves or to protect other people. And there's other reasons why people use guns. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want a gun now because I don't want to be the only guy that doesn't have a gun. <laughs> and I'll say, okay, well, and we'll go into a little discussion about where a gun could be beneficial to protect yourself. Um, you know, you have knives in your kitchen, but yet you still haven't stabbed anybody lately. Um, how is that possible? Uh, it's because it's the individual making choices on what they're going to do. There's plenty of weapons around your house. And there are, I've, I've actually gotten to the point where for some people I go, you know what, maybe you should just get some pepper spray. But uh, if guns aren't for you, I'm not going to try to sell you a gun. Uh, but if you think that a gun could help you in your overall safety plan, 
then here's where it fits in and here's what you're going to have to know and here's what you're going to have to be able to do. And you'd asked before, training requirements are pretty pretty minimal, um, in my opinion, based on what I've seen, based on the competency levels of the people I train with. Um, the training requirements for concealed carry permit are not um, – I can't tell you. I think I've had two people not pass in over 25 years of training mm-hmm. Yeah, because the standards are pretty low. But also, I like to think – I actually have higher standards, even though I can't say that. Um, I try to get people to get a reasonably sized group of shots, center mass on the target. Uh, and that means I have a circle that's like eight inches. I'd like all your shots in that eight inch circle. Uh, it may not happen, but that's my goal. And I'd really like all those shots about the size of a fist, about a three to four inch group center mass on your target. And because we're only shooting at three, five and seven yards and the time frames are highly extended time frame at three yards, you need to fire three rounds in six seconds, two seconds per round, pretty slow. You need to fire two rounds left-handed or support hand if you're left-handed that'd be right but uh support hand two rounds in eight seconds and then at five yards you have to fire five rounds in 15 seconds over three or three seconds for each shot and at seven yards you have to fire five rounds in 20 seconds so really what i would call it uh 20 seconds is like that's kind of like uh you know four gunfights Yep, that's, uh, that's, that's an eternity time. in gunfight terms. I uh, I remember I had to I was doing some training with the guys on the desert. It was a steel challenge, just friendly camping thing. And the guy goes, "Okay, in order to participate, you have to get six hits on target in two seconds. So six hits, two seconds, and here we're doing five hits in twenty seconds. So, and I'll say that was mostly." Uh, gunsight alumni and folks that have been training most of their lives uh, and law enforcement guys that, uh, that like to shoot. So they're very proficient, but, uh, but yeah, the standards are, are not really high for the sheriff's department. It's almost like, look at the driving standards for a driver's license. Mm-hmm. What do you actually have to demonstrate? Uh, parallel parking, maybe uh, stopping at a stop sign, slowing stop. down, braking. Yeah, stopping, you can yeah, make a turn, and you can accelerate at a reasonable uh, speed. That's about and it. Truth is, getting a driver's license does not make you a good driver. Mm-hmm. Getting a seal carry permit does not make you a gunfighter. It's like uh, Jeff Cooper said, having a guitar doesn't make you a musician. Uh, you just are a guitar owner. Uh, you want to learn how to play that guitar? You're going to have to practice and learn how to play it. Uh, same thing with a firearm. Uh, you are a gun owner. If you want to be a proficient self-defender, you're going to have to learn how to use that. And you're going to have to learn how to use it under stress. I haven't seen a relaxed gunfight. <laughs> definitely for sure. Well, hey, hey, Bill, we've been asking all my guests uh, this year uh, a special question. And what kind of books are you reading these days for your own personal en- enrichment? Well, you made me feel like I was left out. There's only two books I've been looking at lately. And one of them is The Good Book which is uh, a book I frequently read, but I also get a lot. I have an app on my phone that sends me daily verses to kind of remind me why I'm here and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, other, the other book I really recommend, and I, I haven't read it like cover to cover, but I've been perusing it. And uh, because, because of Netflix 
and training and work and family life and having a college kid at home and having a, a wife that likes to do things with you. Um, I haven't had a chance to sit down, like read a book cover to cover, but the book I'm working on right now on my nightstand is uh, Training at the Speed of Life, uh, which is about uh, actual training for gunfights and adrenal stress-based conditioning and the evolution of training for law enforcement, military, and civilians, and how it needs to incorporate a little bit of stress. Uh, It could be a timer. It could be, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be a shock collar. It doesn't have to be a stun gun or pepper spray. That's kind of old school. But but there should be some level of stress so that you don't think you're going to be relaxed in a gunfight and so you don't fall apart or the wheels fall off in a gunfight because you've never experienced that level of stress mm-hmm. that not being, so being prepared for a gunfight has a lot more to do with being prepared for a fight than being prepared to use your gun. All my students know how to use a gun. Not all of them know how to, how to survive a fight. So like I said before, Tony Blauer, Blauer tactical systems uh, has a really good self-defense course called uh, be your own bodyguard. And he's got some personal defense readiness training courses it's cerebral self-defense. It's how is your brain going to tell your body to react when you get a fear spike or a sudden impulse hits you like, oh, my God, that guy just stabbed me. I need to do something right now. And or, oh, that guy just punched me in the face. I'm lying on the ground and I, I feel kind of uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I need to respond right now. So being put into those situations, I, one of my buddies kind of explained it as like having a Rolodex which is makes me sound kind of old, but you have a Rolodex in your head that's flipping through files, trying to find the right thing to do. I look at it like it's my computer. I have this little spinning circle when I ask it a question or try to get it to look something up and it's spinning. It's like thinking it's burning time. It's dwell time. It's thinking, thinking, thinking that. And if it doesn't find the file you're looking for, which is how do I defend against those two guys with a gun? One guy has a gun. One guy has a knife. How do I defend against that? What do I do first? Do I run? Do I hide? Do I fight? Uh, where's my gun? Did I remember to bring it with me? Do I have a round in the chamber? Oh gosh, I don't you know. All these things are going through your head. If you don't have a file that says what to do, you kind of sit, you just sit there and burn time and, uh, and you participate as the victim versus, uh, participating as the victor, uh, victor, which is, uh, some of the guys that I've trained with in the past, uh, say, I'm not, I'm not a victim. I'm the predator. And they train for that. And there's a lot of different things on sheepdog mentality and, and focusing on being, having command presence and being able to uh, function under stress, like Jack Wilson in the shooting in the church in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a guy that's been, been through a ton of training, uh, does training with his church security teams, does training on his own, teaches classes, uh, is very familiar with the operation of his handgun and actually was able to deploy it and do exactly what he needed to do. Uh, whereas we see more, we see a lot of examples on active self-protection or different, you know, police one, some of the video channels where there's a video of an actual situation. I see a lot of situations where people are caught behind the reaction curve and they just don't, they can't pull it off because they don't have the tools to do it. And there's other ones where they just get really lucky. I like those too. Yeah. Well, we don't want to depend on luck though. We'll take luck if we get it, but not something you want to depend on a gunfight. That's for sure. Yeah. Scotty Reed said, uh, he said, hope is not a tactic. 
Yes. You can hope all you want, but hope is not a tactic. Yeah. Hey, Bill, where can instructors find more out about you and the upcoming classes you might be doing in the San Diego area? Yeah, so most of my classes are concealed carry or private training because COVID kind of scared everybody away from group classes. And um, and I do have a large number of permit holders. Uh, I've, you know, thousands of them that have been with me for many years that <clears throat> are a polite way to say it. They're older than me. So there are higher <laughs> risk categories. Maybe they're in the medical profession. Um, they're going to wear a mask. They're going to follow CDC guidelines. They have to do things. Uh, they're going to wash their hands a bunch. They're going to do all the things they're supposed to because they don't want to infect their family members or friends or anybody else. So a lot uh, aside from, and then I have other folks that are like, they, they'll come up and give you a big hug and you're like, Hey, wait, we're not supposed to do that right now. Um, so it really varies, but I'd say a lot of my students uh, don't want to do group classes uh, because they don't want to be a, like uh, one of them, uh, his, his wife's going through breast cancer treatment right now. He doesn't want to do anything to potentially expose her to COVID. So he'll do a private class. Um, a lot of folks doing private training. Uh, I do mostly two hour private lessons on the indoor range. I do four or five, six hour lessons on the outdoor range. <clears throat> and then I, uh, I focus on my, my primary classes. I really have three or four classes each month uh, for concealed carry on Saturdays or Fridays. And those are eight to eight to five all day classes, uh, kind of immersive with, um, I try to make it interesting. So I don't teach the same material. Uh, I teach the same material, but I don't teach it the same way every time. So every year I update my, my curriculum, I update my uh, PowerPoint presentation and I update the, uh, some of the new thing. Like if something happens, uh, like I had a guy get, her, uh, went to the VA hospital here in La Jolla, had a procedure done, <clears throat> came out of the hospital, looked around, didn't see anybody. And he goes, oh, you know what? It looks pretty clear. I'm going to go ahead and put my gun on. So he opens his trunk, takes his gun out, puts it on his front waistband, takes his other gun, puts it on his ankle. He carries two. And he he didn't see anybody. He didn't see anybody in the area. So he, uh, <coughs> pardon me, he uh, gets in his car. He's sitting in his car and six federal police officers show up. <clears throat> they're pointing rifles at his head. Get out of the car, get out of the car on the ground, on the ground. Unbeknownst to him, there was an individual about three car lengths down with tinted windows sitting in his car, saw him take his gun, put it on his waistband, take another gun, put it on his ankle and thought he was going to, you know, active shooter, the VA hospital. Turns out there is a law in California <clears throat> You can't have a uh, firearm on federal property or in the buildings of federal property or the parking lot. And there's a small little sign that says no firearms, no weapons allowed. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately for him, he went to, uh, he didn't go to jail. He got uh, issued him a citation and everything and, uh, and checked everything out. He had his permit. Everything was good. Had to go to federal court. Had to hire a federal attorney, paid about $5,000 in attorney's fees, and the case was eventually dismissed because they were able to show that the sign in the parking lot was not prominently pay- placed and was not large enough to read if you're driving through in your car. 
it was kind of hidden off in the bushes somewhere. Mm-hmm. So That'd be lucky. So another good argument for U.S. Law Shield or CCW Safe or any of the legal protection plans uh, that provide you some kind of legal coverage, even though I'm told a lot of them don't cover you if you violate a, a restricted area. Mm-hmm. Well, but having access to attorneys is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Definitely. They can at least uh, help or advise your some initial help, at least. And hopefully we don't miss a sign like that. Well, hey, Bill, we really appreciate your time on the podcast. Give us a little bit of idea what it's like to be in San Diego County of California there and everything. So I appreciate your time. And uh, what wh- what is your uh, your website, ccwusa.com? Yeah, ccwusa.com. We're just in the process of revamping the whole website. So it's kind of, it's a little bit old. Uh, I'm told I'm not a computer guy, but I'm told the theme is old. So my computer guy is updating the website a little bit. But we are, even though CCWSA sounds great, and it is a great uh, website, um, we don't teach classes outside of California pretty much anymore. I used to go to Nevada and different states and train train folks uh, that requested it. But primarily, I'm in San Diego County and doing classes here in San Diego County. Uh, my traveling has been limited, uh, partly due to COVID, but also due to my choice. I'd rather just be local. There's plenty of local instructors like yourself in other parts of the country uh, that can provide really good training to, to your local citizens. And I like the fact that people get trained on their state laws and on their, what, how is this going to play out in Ohio or in New York or in uh, Arizona or in Texas or New Mexico? I, I know more about California laws yep. and how these things play out in California. So that's, that's my specialty. Definitely. Well, thanks again, Bill, for coming on. And that's a wrap for this episode. And we have a few requests for our, our listeners. Uh, share this episode on Facebook. Encourage others to listen and subscribe. Visit our sponsors, especially the Firearms Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage for your students as well as yourself in case something happens during training. Remember, use the promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. If you have any ideas, questions, or feedback, please email us at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Remember, we bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Get out and train, and stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.